0: plays a vital role in providing real-time information to the public about relevant events. In dangerous situations like earthquakes and extreme weather, such as typhoon and flooding, and man-made hazards like armed conflict, journalists put their lives on the line to bring us news that helps us make informed decisions. What is it like covering disasters, and what are the challenges to news organizations in the era of social media? and welcome to Resilient Talk, the podcast. This is an initiative of Resilient.ph, a social enterprise committed to advancing resilience programming in the country. Hi, this is AJ, your host for today. In this conversation, we are fortunate to have with us the Executive Director of the Philippine Press Institute, Mr. Ariel Cevelino. Hi, Ariel! Hi,
1: AJ! Thanks for your me. So excited. Will be here as a resource person for your podcast.
0: Before we go on to our podcast, why don't you tell us what PTI is all about?
1: I belong to the Philippine Press Institute. It's also known as the National Association of Newspapers in the country. It's the oldest, they said, it's considered the oldest professional media organization for newspapers. I'm talking about print. Since 1964, uh, the BPI has been delivering its services via training program. Its mandate is to professionalize newsrooms and protect press freedom up to this day, it has always adhered to its mandate. The PPI has also been advocating for most of media issues, like I already mentioned, press freedom, safety and welfare of journalists, and in ending impunity as well. And of course, uh, that we're working on to really uh, put a stop or put an end to impunity or the killings of journalists. And the other thing is, thing is coalescing with the non media sectors. Annually, we do the National Press Forum. There are also smaller events, for example, the training programs for journalists. I would have to put an emphasis on the bulk of the work of the PPI. So, we also have our other activities geared towards molding the future journalists or media practitioners in this country. The PPI also has been involved in uh, the media and information literacy because the Philippine Press Institute is a uh, Supporting activities that will involve or that have involved or engaged the public, meaning non-media sectors, that's PDI in, in a nutshell.
0: You know, that is quite an interesting mandate. Trying to look at the safety of your journalists is very well tied into our topic for today on disaster reporting in the Philippines. My first question, Ariel, is. What is it like to cover disasters in the Philippines? Uh, What are the usual challenges to the journalists in the field and their organizations, of course? Yeah,
1: Very interesting question and challenge as well. Because journalism per se is a, a challenging job in the Philippines. What more if you cover disasters? That should be challenging and nerve-wracking as well. We're talking about how difficult it is to be covering or be on the field. For example, when it is context-stricken, the when there is disaster, natural calamity, this health crisis, there's restrictions in mobility, and that it's so difficult for, for journalists really to, to have for stories, to get their stories done because there are restrictions, because of health protocols. And then, usually, journalists would go to if prepared. It's a big a big preparation that you do research and, and then you study the community etc you also protect yourself the downside is that you don't have resources to do that example journalists outside metro manila are not covered with insurances and that uh, they don't have much resources really to to, to 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 get them by every day and you go to a field a, a difficult situation you'll be in the purpose of it is really to cover and that you have to come back alive to be able to tell the story what if journalists don't have resources for communication for transportation what if a journalist dies covering the very important but otherwise very dangerous situation or event so those are some of the things really that uh, have been haunting the, the newsrooms the media management and journalists as well because uh, the safety and welfare compounded by uh, the difficulty of the situation as i said it is a disaster it's a. Uh, it's more struggling for journalists to, to be covering difficult situations. Uh, I already mentioned communication. What's what's a load for updating your management that you're okay, that you are halfway your work, and that you're coming back. What if you don't have load? Then you don't have money, even money to to really spend on load. Oh.
0: I hear a lot of um, gaps in the field of journalism. You've mentioned cell phone loads and welfare. Yeah. Aren't there any protocols set by the organizations or is it is it something that PPI um, asks the member or your member organizations okay. to implement?
1: that's a good question to ask and I think if a uh, journalist listening right now that they should this a learning a lesson for everyone for the management for the entire media industry it's a given whether it's corporate not just you know uh, in the media sector that everyone should have resources to spend for their employees and taking care of employees should be a primary consideration and uh, as I said while journalism in the Philippines is one of the most dangerous professions to do to practice I think we have reached to a point where where we should be dis- not only discussing problems of welfare and security, but addressing the issues as well. Uh, what it is a management call. It's also something with it's something to do with the, the entire industry. Uh, while 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 struggling journalists in outside Metro Manila are full on covering disasters or any events for that matter, I think they need more resources than the ones in Metro Manila, because media outfits or media houses in Metro Manila are so big that they have resources to cover or to spare for their employees. Um, we're talking about that kind of welfare that, that that's economic. Uh, The substance of the work is already there, the excellence is there, but uh, every time we talk about welfare and security and safety, uh, we we always say that it should not be separate from the work or that should be separate from discussions and excellence. You can only be as as excellent as you are taken care of.
0: You have newspaper outlets, you have members who really try to give support for welfare, but... There's
1: really a big gap in that. Yeah, it is not. It's not only a gap. It's really a big. It's a huge problem because you can also you cannot also fault the the owners or publishers of the of the newspapers because they are also struggling, especially in time of health crisis. We said this last year that all the problems that 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 we were talking about last year in terms of media conditions were just resurfacing. They were just made prominently. Uh, uh, they were just prominently discussed. Because uh it's a different it is a different situation now. What Isn't I'm there, saying is that um, these are age-old problems. These are problems of of imperial problems.
0: Aren't there any efforts where government tries to also uh give subsidies or welfare uh efforts for your for journalists?
1: Yeah. I, I, I think it, it would be wonderful to note that uh, the government or any any organization for that matter outside of the government can really be of assistance to the media in the Philippines. It should be the first entity to really um, Make an atmosphere that's healthy for journalists. Promoting space or spaces for journalists to really, you know, do their job instead of limiting them. Uh, I'm talking about laws that should that should not be passed to limit the functions and roles of journalists in the society. The government can only assist in so far as uh, it, it is concerned about taking care of any citizen journalists media practitioners are not spent are not a special lot if the government would take care of every citizen in this country it should be taking care of any journalist as well or any other employee or any other citizen of this country so uh, the only assistance probably we might be getting from the government if at all would be that for example uh where, where as, as journalists or as workers in this country where do we get ayuda do we get it from dole do we get it from from the SWD? opening up uh, uh uh these opportunities for journalists to get their assistance from would really be a a wonderful thing to to, to really have uh, at this point in time w- while you would be there to really see what's happening you have also to have the support from, from the government.
0: Speaking of reporting and getting the story out there, what have been the most difficult disasters to cover
1: Very, very interesting question. So in this country where typhoons come and go and that every disaster you can think of is actually here, if you we were to do a survey, it should be, uh, to my mind, and also talking to some journalists uh, at some point, I think it would be if the natural calamity, it should be Haiyan or Yolanda of that magnitude, and then in recent years, contemporaries, and then uh, outside of it, or either one or two, whoever comes first. This pandemic, this pandemic has taken a toll on how journalists now function as content providers or as journalists. And then you also have given the introspection about. Uh, Why can you not get your story out there because you cannot travel? Things like those. Um, For example, the papers folded up last year, but they came back, they bounced back on probably smaller forms, on different platforms, because some of them went digital already. But just to say that uh, one newspaper that is one too many, one journalist is killed, that's one too many. And and I think uh, mentioning about Haiyan and uh, and this health crisis, the COVID nineteen pandemic, there are also big disasters or natural calamities in the past that actually put the lives of a lot of journalists uh, on the line. Um, I think, for example, the 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 Pinatubo eruption, the Marawi siege, for example, these are on sort of different scales. W- what do you think about when you when you think about all these disasters? uh were they were were they prepared of course nobody's actually ever prepared for any disaster but i think the are preparing something to do with as i said a while ago in a conversation were you given resources did your management make sure make sure that you come back alive did your management given you the kind of attention that you deserve in terms of the safe uh when you're there covering Mount Pinatubo or the marawi uh, were you protected? Were you following protocols that's given? Because government protocols will have to be followed and are, and is a requirement uh, for journalists to be safe.
0: It's interesting how, as journalists, you have all of these things to balance. And at the end of it all is, how do you get your story across? So um, the question is, how does the industry separate the job from the experience? So if a journalist is... In the situation, how do you know? How does a journalist know when to get out of the situation? When yeah. to value over story?
1: Yeah, when you know that you're in danger, life when your when your life is put at risk, it's not worth risking your life. Meaning, um, you have to come back alive. That's really very important. That's the caveat there. That uh, any journalist, for that matter, how however brave you are. However resilient you are, you have to come back to tell the story for the public. You cannot separate the job from the entire experience because by and large, that characterizes your function and your role. You, there's always a, what we call the 24 seven work, you know, as mm-hmm. you waking and sleeping hours. You do not exactly, you don't have that that you know exact time. I think that whole journalistic experience Uh, makes your character stronger and that you become a better version of yourself well better version meaning a better citizen of this country because you're not just thinking about you being a journalist but it's really beyond your work as a journalist it's something to do with how altruistic you are when you get there something you know how Filipinos are our culture would always remind us that for any any difficult situation you give a hand whatever your profession is whoever you are in this country number one i'll be there as a journalist number two how can i help my fellow citizens so why let you cannot separate but as i said noteworthy is if you think you're putting your life on the line and after especially your family as well it's not worth it just go back and tell your editors and publishers you cannot cover it. And they would surely understand.
0: I do have a uh, two-pronged question next. So first is, um, in this time, in we, you mentioned earlier that the pandemic has been hardest, to, particularly hard to report because of the mobility. So yeah. you're being forced to shift to social media. So what is it like... Reporting disasters, reporting the pandemic, reporting other kinds of disasters um, and, and calamity. What is it like in the time of social media where you are forced to engage uh, online platforms and revert away from? Print? And two, um, connected to your question, uh, to your message earlier, the responsibility of reporting. How do journalists ensure that they get the proper information given that? sometimes people do not want to share all of the information during disasters. Yeah.
1: Okay, the, the part on uh, the proliferation of information, access to information via social media or other platforms as Paul, but also po- a tr- threat. At the same time, a challenge for most of of, uh, of legit media houses or outfits, use outfits in the country, even co- content providers, where everyone now is a content provider journalists or news outfits have to contend with giving information that should be well researched vetted as opposed to say just any other information out there for 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 a, any member of the public um, social media and the technology by themselves are a competition but it reached to a point that they should be reinforcing the platform that you have. For example, you mentioned about print. There's no way you can stay print forever. What well, it cannot die or will not die, you should you should one, any journalist for that matter should be diversifying news. outfit should be diversifying technologies and social media platforms are there to reinforce reportage, accessibility of information via social media, Facebook, Twitter, etc is much needed for the public to take a grasp of reality provided by legit, every emphasis on the legit legit content providers. Um, It has also posed a threat at the same time, not only competition in a good way. uh, The threat is what it makes you more, it makes any journalist step up. It makes anyone be substantially relevant. It makes a journalist really put on their toes because you can be sort of eaten alive by technology or social media. You've got a whole bunch of information out there and various users at the same time. That's a problem because the threat is that this is the bad side. Um, there's disinformation, inf- disinformation, malinformation. People will go to virality and trendingness of any reportage. It's a challenge now for news outfits, for most of ju- the journalists, of all ju- all journalists and news outfits, to be uh, competitive, to be able to stay alive in the in, in the level of reportage and the narrative. I was talking about with emphasis on the narrative because, by and large, that should be what the public deserves a good narrative, vetted, well-researched, journalistic in that sense. You have
0: journalists on the field and trying to get proper, credible information can be quite a challenge, especially when during disasters or during calamities, um, tensions are high. It's, 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 It's Uh, wild world out there
1: during stress level is high as well
0: (laughs) so how do you make sure that you get the the proper information from the sources the government the different Mm -hmm. agencies that go on for response and relief efforts
1: yeah. Okay. First and foremost, with all the difficulties in, uh, in getting information and also uh, how how journalists are threatened in social media by being trolled, by being, the work being bastardized, they're being demonized, I think you have to go back to your core. The values of journalism and your own values, family values, would truly really make you a resilient journalist. Uh, if I would use the layman term, matatag na mahayag. So, any journalist, any seasoned journalist, has been through a lot. Would actually share or tell you. Of course, there are much older journalists out there who are more experienced than I am. Anyone who's on the field for the longest time would tell you that. To becoming a better journalist at this point whether you're old or young or getting there in a profession uh, i think it's something to do with knowing your own core not only knowing journalism well but i think if you as a person know your values and that you know the code of ethics the media ethics as well and you know that you have the guidance of your editors and your management super- supervisors i think any other story will be less difficult to cover because you know you have their backs right you have their support and i think talking about uh, let's say for example um your you work being being criticized or being even uh, demonized as i said and on social media uh, the only way to really counter that is to prove yourself that you are ethical that you are a responsible journalist that you are a responsible content provider uh, if that measure gets across the public, by and large, it makes them think not just how difficult your job is as a journalist or the journalism profession, but it, it make it it makes them appreciate your the work because they know that you are in the, the core of actions and that you are uh, you are indispensable, that you are primarily very important in the dynamics of. Affairs let's say in, in the local communities
0: more on that I want to begin, dig in deeper in um, when, when you want to build your credibility as a journalist yes, but at the same time when you're credible, um, you report as is sometimes it does, the, the report isn't what the information uh, giver wants to hear so let's mm-hmm. there are 10 dead, but there are really a hundred dead.
1: Something
0: mm-hmm. like that. There, there might be uh, information that yeah. do, people don't want to share immediately.
1: To so share. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um,
0: how do you access that kind of information, um, whether it's from government or private institutions? Yeah. Um, is there anything helping journalists to, to, to get those data, which is very important?
1: Mm-hmm. Credibility, you're only as good as your last story. Right. Sometimes people would only know you as a journalist or a content provider for a story that you've fit in recently. And sometimes they characterize you, or a lot of times they characterize you with that kind of story, with your last story. You mentioned about access to information that's very you because uh, let me just go back to how difficult it is now to cover in this time of health crisis or this pandemic. Press conferences now are not face-to-face, as you know. Uh, It's remote, it's virtual. You will not have the opportunity to ask questions sometimes. And that is not good for any journalist. In any press conference, the problem is there will be filtering uh, of questions in that you cannot ask for more information. And that access to information directly from New sources is very important in news coverage. Uh, you mentioned about what if you cannot provide the, the right statistics or the truthful or factual statistics from, let's say, how many cases are there, recently, are there recently in the Philippines? How many are infected right now? How many have recovered? If you cannot get your facts straight, then you have a problem. You have a problem as a journalist because you did not do your job well or you haven't done enough, but also very important that they is that uh did did your sources provide you with much information not only much but i think all the information that you can actually need that you will need for your story uh, if you cannot get that information you can access if you cannot access information from new sources whether it's from the government or any private institution there's going to be a problem there you need your you know some of your creativity and initiative Uh, there will always be second or third sources sometimes any journalist or occasionally any journalist would fail to cover a a completely a new story because they're relying on the traditional sources meaning first line of the first year or first row first level of sources but there are second and third authorities as well so you cannot rely solely on the first so still you can have a good narrative based on second or third levels of uh uh sources is
0: there a judgment call um on the r- journalist's part when yeah, there's
1: always, yeah yes there's always a journal there's always a judgment call there's always an editorial judgment like uh, uh okay I, I, I get you when you say that if it c- cannot provide the complete information today because you you don't want to be outscooped because you want it today, you want it to done today, you want to submit the story today out of not being scooped out. Uh, don't do the story. Uh, it would take time. That would mean probably, and the would say, no, it, it's going to be history tomorrow. But then again, what has been reported today can be developed into a more, more, uh, more not intriguing, but provocative, more significant narrative the next day so that means today while you were not able to share now a story uh, you were, okay let's say you were out school but tomorrow you probably be the the leader of information because you were able to see how stories are were developed today as opposed to what you're going to go, uh, what you're going to, to to do a story on the next day or the third day so you can be a better narrator or storyteller the next time around but then again you haven't churned out a story the first day because uh, because your editors told you don't because it's not yet complete. The information is incomplete. It's not that like whole story. So it, it's better instead of shortchanging your public or your audience or your readers might as well uh, provide, the sec- provide an information or a story that's complete and significant the next time around on the same subject if you will
0: it, it became one of the biggest um clashes of information in, in may in 2020 around may and april because there was a lot of lot of data on the pandemic and um i think the public had a overload of information oh uh, uh,
1: yeah may I just yeah okay <laughs> there were too much information on the pandemic on the pandemic uh uh okay uh, legitimately, but there were all, there was also too much misinformation and disinformation. That's a problem. And uh, how do you correct that? Um, you mentioned about overload. I think there's there, where, while where the public cannot be overloaded or cannot, the public cannot have an overload information, the public has to have, no matter how numerous the information or the stories are, uh, they must get the, the stories right, meaning, uh, one story is one too many, but many stories would probably spell uh, uh, a a good narrative information. So it doesn't really matter whether you have too much or too little, but, okay, you have to battle it out with disinformation and misinformation, which was way really too much, uh, even before the health crisis or the pandemic, mm-hmm. and probably post-pandemic as well. Who knows, mm-hmm. right? It's,
0: so it's also difficult. I I I like I like what you said that sometimes the battle against this information has to happen before a calamity or a pandemic. So, um, in in the field of journalism, what can be active steps um, journalists can take to educate the public how to battle disinformation, mm. um, whether
1: okay. or not? Yeah. Okay, this is like well, I don't know if it's way too much for the public to really, to you know, to consider. But fact checking is really very important. It's it should not be left to fact checkers, meaning to journalists, to newsroom people, to um, let's say to fact checkers like Rappler and Verifiles, and, uh, and, and 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 other media houses like ABS CBN. Which also does fact checking, but I, at this point, what? But I did start uh, the Scholastic Press Outreach Program uh, when the when the when fake news was a novelty at the time. I'm talking about like four years ago. One of the few organizations that started the Scholastic Press Outreach Program to fight fake news. Fighting fake news is like um, <laughs> fighting a virus, a an infodemic um it's so difficult because as i said it takes a community of journalists to do that number 2 uh the steps you're talking about we we've, we've been talking about uh it should be involving the public like how how would you tell a 10 year old and a 76 year old not to share information that is detrimental but still it's Trending, a spiral. How would you tell them? Tell them to open it before sharing. The battle is in social media. Inform- access to information via social media has opened up a lot of advantages and disadvantages as well because people are now more expressive. People, people now have that feedback mechanism as opposed to the same many years back when you, all you had to do is write your editor, mail it, stay mail, or email it. Now it's real time. Social media platforms have been, are being used by a lot of these outfits for real time feedback mechanism. If they only listen to feedback, then they're good. Um, social media, for example, would be a an instrument for engagement, Yeah. right? That's very, very significant in the work of a journalist news outfits. Um, it should be considered a a friend a friendly ally or a friend or an ally by itself because we can also, because we can use it. We can utilize it, utilize it to our own advantage, right? So um, while it's so difficult to curb misinformation, misinformation, even malinformation, which is a global phenomenon, I think a mature society, or well, any society for that matter, or a community for that matter, should be at the helm of the narrative. What I'm saying is that if the story is about a community, and if that story comes out, then all the residents in the community should be prepared to be on the side of the journalist covering that particular story. What well, it says is that if the journalist gets thrown get, or demonized or bastardized for that particular story in the community, mm-hmm. that support you'll be getting should be from the residents themselves because they were part of the narrative, right?
0: So, so we- that's
1: engagement at the ground level.
0: What's happening here is um, when it comes to disaster reporting or at least um, Educating the community to digest the news properly—it's—it's it's really uh, not just the journalists, but it's also the community's responsibility.
1: And then talking about communities, the academics or academic community is important in the heart of things to combat misinformation and disinformation. That's why, be- that's why it is also called an ally of journalists or. A friend of the journalist, because they used the to be system. counting on them. They yeah, sh- we have the system
0: ha- of finding. Yeah,
1: you have um, initiatives. You have efforts already, right? You even fact check yourself. Part of the curriculum now is to uh, a lot of university colleges right now, as a subject or as a subjects, would have fact checking in the course, mm-hmm. because fact checking is what it is institutional. It's also the individual fighting disinformation is also as personal as fact-checking mm-hmm. you have a responsibility for your FB account for your twitter for your instagram if you want to be relevant your post your car your post your character depends on your post <laughs> it tells something about who you are as a person if you post all the time or occasionally and share information from fake news so to speak the buzzword household term and then it speaks highly or rightly about you as a person okay
0: well um well we're nearly at the end of our podcast uh i want to wrap up with a question does disaster reporting make a difference in the short and long term and what impact does disaster reporting make in the lives of our audience
1: Disaster reporting in the Philippines or in the world is significant. We have too many stories and reports already on disasters or natural calamities. The only way to better yourself in terms of you know, uh, content provision or as a content provider or a journalist is to make sure you don't, not recycle, but you offer a fresh perspective to your story. The short and long term of it is that you cover disaster because you want to change lives. You want to prepare the people in the community to be alert, to be to mitigate risks, to be resilient, because Philippines are resilient already. But I think you put resilience or resiliency on a different level in terms of preparation. You want a resilient community, you want a resilient resident to be able to embrace preparedness that covers pre, on, and post. The problem is that if a disaster is done, I mean, if it's finished, natural calamity is over, and that you thought that you've you, you, you gotten over it, finish. Right? What happens is that you see the cycle of, uh, uh, as I said in our earlier conversation, disaster, natural calamity in the Philippines, where it is a, uh, uh, what do you call it? A, a ring fire of everything. Uh, uh they come and go and that anyone should be preparing already not just the government but it, it's a sectoral it's a sectoral thing it's a multi-sectoral effort to be prepared to be prepared to be equally prepared uh on and off any disaster any natural calamity again the long and short of it is that you as a journalist or a content provider should be able to engage the public in a way that they find solutions for themselves. Number two, that they can that they can set agenda for themselves. Setting agenda is that uh, while the government can provide assistance, while journalists are there to cover disasters, setting agenda is giving them the opportunity to tell the story, then the sto- to tell the stories themselves. It's not as if like I'm going to Mara and say, okay, this is your story, and this is how we want to report. To to come out is that you know engaging the public in the right way? No, is that making them prepared? Is that is there is that a good way to 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 help them prepare for the next natural calamity or any disaster? No, of course, right. uh I hope it's my hope that the health crisis, the quarantines into a form that started. May, the uh, second March last year, up until running the second year or first year, second year up until the last uh, last month of the year. Again, hopefully things get better along the way. I think providers uh, should have provided us that introspection to recalibrate our work, to offer a fresh narrative, and to, to, to be altruistic. Can I, just, can I just really put an emphasis on altruism? What makes anyone resilient, whether it's a community person, is that altruism, it should be there. Altruism is equal to resilience. I think
0: journalists have that innately. Yeah. That altruism to give the news out there to help people um, during, before, during, and after yeah. the disasters. Yeah. You have to have yeah. that. You
1: know, can I just
0: face all of the yeah. difficulties can right? I just
1: have as a last point I'm so sorry but I just have to emphasize another thing everything is aspirational a narrative for that matter only stays as a narrative but once you get a community moving one person moving one two lives moving um that means um you you amplify their voices because they're unheard of And these are a lot of stories are underreported or not reported at all right uh, if you amplify things you give a that voice that they didn't have for the longest time then you're good but then again at the end of the day you want to change lives one story at a time that i think is resilience journalism okay
0: so Ariel. For being a very educational ed- and wonderful guest today, Sir Al, would you thank like you. to have the last word for this podcast, or maybe a message of hope for aspiring journalists?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, uh, okay. Lastly, thank you for the insightful conver- conversation. I wish it would have been uh, a lengthy conversation, but that, that's the limitation as well. Uh, I, 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 I what do to say shout out to all the journalists out there and content providers, let us uh, keep, let's all be safe. Let's keep safe so that we'll be able to tell the story that the public deserves.
0: Again, thank you for listening to this intense discussion with Ariel Sebelino of the Philippine Press Institute. Thank you for ve- being a wonderful guest today. We learned so much. So, Ariel, would you like to give the last word for this podcast? Okay,
1: maybe? i sure. short, uh, starting last May. May, we started the PPA News Commons providing assistance via their stories. So we're paying several stories monthly to journalists outside Metro Manila. As I as I said. Uh, what they're already struggling even before the pandemic or before this health crisis, I think, is important to this part of the altruism of people to really help them monetarily or financially. That's the one program that we're doing up running, up and running until uh, half, uh, the second half of this. Uh, okay, the whole year round, uh, the things will be different though on the second half of the year. While the focus on the pandemic, the, ha- the next half of the year will be on uh, elections reportage. Uh, one, that's one program. The other one is that uh, soon EPA will uh, will have a cooperative. Yay! A cooperative for, you know, to, to really help publishers and journalists, long time coming, uh, long overdue. Um, and then we also have that program on the fellowship program. The fellowship programs not only are, as opposed to seminar workshops, will have also financial, uh, will we'll have grants. For journalists to work on their stories. For example, uh, a story can be like 20,000, can can be given 20,000 or 30,000, things like those. So, while, you know, uh, just I think that's balancing substance and form at the same time, because we know that uh, journalists really need work and they really need money, right? So, uh, Partly, PPA is addressing that. What it cannot address all the problems that uh, any journalist has. I think uh, we've we've done a part in terms of really um, making sure that we've we've been assisting them. Or oh, all right, uh, and some other things. We've also been giving well cash assistance to to journalists who are uh, in the communities that have been stricken by calamities, for example, by natural disasters. So that's one thing. And then, of course, uh, we still continue our, our other institutional programs. Yeah. So all these are for the benefit of the of the Filipino journalists, at least for the print journalists.
0: If people want to know more about your programs? Uh, yeah. Yes. Can look at.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's, we have a website. It's uh, www.fieldpressinstitute.net for institutional programs and any materials that we've been using, that we have used for our seminar workshops, can be accessed via the the website. And the other thing is that we also have a news website, that's the www.ppinewscommons.net for all stores for, well, Any story you can think of about the pandemic written and published by our uh, local journalists, meaning you know, those outside Metro Manila. So so far, those are the things we've been doing. We have done last year, and we'll continue to do this year and the coming years.
0: Okay, thank you very much. Thank Thank you you again, Ariel, for the wonderful podcast. It certainly has been an interesting conversation with you. Uh, I'm sure the experiences you have shared will allow our listeners more context on what it's like to report about calamities and hazards in our country. Thank you for listening to this intense discussion with Ariel Sabellino of the Philippine Press Institute.